How's it going, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Ant and Big Red vs. The World. As always, I am Big Red. And I'm Savage Ant. And this is going to be our first installment of kind of our new revamped uh, content delivery to you. Um, trying to keep it a little bit shorter and just give you some good content on recent things that are going on. And yeah, we're going to get going. So Ant, you want to tell, tell the fans what we're going to get into today? Yeah, so on the menu we got some Baltimore Ravens. Um, haven't made really made an appearance on Ant Big Red, so it'll be cool to get into that. Of course, we got the college football playoff final. Uh, we talked about it a little last week in a preview, and uh, a little preview on what we're going to get into. Clemson came out on top and put a smile on my face at least. And then, uh, of course, we got my honorable mentions in Big Reds, Ballers, and Bus, and we might dabble in a little bit more of uh, James Harden and that Giannis MVP showdown that happened tonight. So um should be a good show, and I guess we'll get into it. Yeah, and like Ann said, a um, few places we haven't exactly gone so far in this episode, and starting it right away is with the Baltimore Ravens. Um had a really interesting year. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sure you all saw or at least heard about had a bit of an offensive meltdown and lost to the Chargers, 23-17. to 17. It ended up being close because of some Lamar Jackson last-chance efforts at, in the fourth quarter. Uh, but it kind of wrapped up a really interesting season in which the Ravens had an elite defense and did something that the Seahawks were doing pretty much all season, but something that the NFL hasn't really seen in a long time, and that's run the football a lot more than you pass it. And they kind of did that as soon as Joe Flacco went out, uh, went down with a hip injury, and Lamar Jackson took over the starting starting role. And the rest of the season played out, and they found their way into the playoffs. Um, so, I mean, I guess the first place to start um, is probably with the most recent thing that happened is the playoff game. Um, like I said, they kind of had an offensive meltdown. Lamar Jackson had 20... There he had uh, oh, is it? Yeah, he only completed two passes in the first half. Yeah, for for seventeen crazy. yards and an interception. Um, yeah, so, something that was really funny that I saw when I was like um, doing some research was they had this picture that was from the game, and it had like a little title on it, and it said uh, Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson's first completion since one o seven p.m. Eastern time. <laughs> I mean, it's it's bad. If you look through the play-by-play, it's Lamar Jackson incomplete, run play, run play, run play, Lamar Jackson incomplete, Lamar Jackson sacked, Lamar Jackson incomplete, uh, and then finally completes one to the other team. Uh, yeah, so it was a very rough first three quarters for Lamar Jackson and had a lot of people crying for Joe Flacco, um, who was kind of burned at the stake. Gonzo Lamar is the quarterback of the future a little bit. Um, a lot of people clamoring for Flacco, though. There's booing, and they were upset that Lamar was staying in there with as bad as he was doing, and there's a lot of mixed opinions on it. Uh, Ant, what's kind of your thoughts? Were the Ra- Was John Harbaugh and the Ravens right in not putting Flacco into the game? Uh, short, short answer, yeah. Uh, they were right. John Harbaugh made the right choice in keeping Lamar Jackson in there. The fans are whack for booing. I mean, it's not like... So Lamar Jackson, once Lamar Jackson came in, the whole, the fortune of the whole team turned around. 
I mean, you weren't going to get anywhere with Joe Fluco in there, as Skip Bayless likes to call him. That's probably, like, the only thing I, I agree about. I agree on with Skip Bayless, which is <laughs> Joe Fluco and his uh, fluke of a Super Bowl season. But, um, yeah, the Ravens made the right choice. I mean, their whole scheme and everything was built with Lamar Jackson in mind. Obviously, Joe Flacco isn't going to go out there and, and run the ball for as many yards as he throws it. So, I mean... It's they made the right choice, and I mean, um, down the line in the game, ended up looking like it was the right choice because the Ravens started to make a little surge. Um, Lamar Jackson had 169 yards in the last nine minutes of the fourth quarter, which um, part of it was garbage time because it was starting to get a little out of hand. But, but, it, but it's the playoffs. Like I said, There's they no... brought it, yeah, they brought it back. There's no garbage um, time in the playoffs. Yeah, so he ended up bringing it back. He only had 194 yards in the whole game, and 169 of them were in the last nine minutes trying to lead a comeback against arguably the best team in the AFC. Um, they're at least out there. So, I mean, he definitely, John Harbaugh definitely made the right choice with keeping Lamar Jackson in and leaving Joe Fluco on the bench. I I 100% agree. Um, I think I think you, you mentioned a really huge piece that I think people ignore a little bit is the scheme. The entire offensive scheme for the Baltimore Ravens changed over the seven games that uh, Lamar Jackson started. They became incredibly run heavy. That on the season they averaged 34.4 pass attempts per game. Once Lamar Jackson took... So that number is incredibly skewed. So they have just 34.4 pass attempts per game and 33.5 rush attempts per game, which led the league. That pass number is incredibly skewed from Joe Flacco because when the when Lamar Jackson took over, they averaged about 26 pass attempts per game. Uh, that's... Flacco's never played in an offense like that. He's... N- he, like you said, he can't run the football, but that entire scheme changed, and so the entire offense was integrated with that kind of mindset to put Flacco in against one of the best defenses in the AFC and the best pass rushes in the AFC and the Los Angeles Chargers. Lamar Jackson got sacked seven times. Joe Flacco is a sitting duck back there. He's not going to fare much better. Um, and, and yeah, Joe Flacco probably passes for more yards. I, but there's no way that putting that offense was not good when Flacco was running it before he got hurt. And so I, there's no way you put him in and after not playing for this long in a scheme that they'd have to alter for Flacco, where they end up passing a lot and doing a lot of things that they haven't done all year. And I don't think it would have worked if they put Flacco in. And also, Lamar Jackson's your quarterback of the future. John Harbaugh absolutely did the right thing in putting his faith in him to finish out the game, win or lose, because you're building a championship team. They already have an elite championship defense. Lamar Jackson clearly wasn't quite there passing-wise. He needs another year to develop, and we saw a lot of we saw a lot of throwing, 169 yards in the final nine minutes. You said it. That's the next step Lamar needs to take, and for him to close out the game like that, it's it's huge. And it, and it puts confidence in your quarterback that you believe in him as your franchise QB. And to take him out and bench him, I think, would have demoralized him a little bit and made it really hard for him to come back next year. Yeah, um, I'm really, I really like that you kind of put it into the he's a quarterback of the future kind of context because it's kind of what I was wanting to get into next. I mean, it's something that you obviously wanted to get into too was um, what this 
means for the Ravens' future. I mean, obviously, Joe Flacco is on the trade block. Um, like we were saying before, he's either going to get traded or they'll probably keep him as a backup, is what we were talking about before we started recording. But um, but something that I really want to see um, is just them continuing to build on their defense. I mean, like you said, it's already a championship-caliber defense. And another year of Lamar Jackson progression can maybe elevate him to not necessarily Russell Wilson when the Seahawks uh, were in the Super Bowl contention window, but um, Russell Wilson-esque, obviously less throwing and more running. But um, Lamar Jackson can probably be, I think his roof as a quarterback, his highest ceiling is probably like an elite game manager, if that makes sense. Um, like not a complete just game manager, like average, like Alex Smith type quarterback, like a step above that. So I think that's where he could kind of max out at. And with the Ravens and the scheme that they ran this year, and will most likely be running something very similar, if not the exact same next year. I mean, that's what they need. The Ravens teams historically have been great defenses, all-time great defenses with, average-ish to above-average quarterback play. And, I mean, that's been a championship formula for not only the Ravens, but for other teams, too, like the Broncos and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's definitely the right direction, at least in my eyes, to go. I I couldn't agree more. Um, I, think, I think Lamar Jackson... Lamar Jackson is obviously their quarterback of the future. I'll just kind of run off a few numbers. Um, so he finished with a 58% completion percentage, um, uh, which is not terrible. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's not great by any means, but it's not terrible. Uh, he finished with 1,201 yards. And if you calculate over seven starts and not the random pass or two, he got in the early six games, that was about 171 yards per game. Um, which is again, not good. But it's, it's not terrible. It's serviceable. Um, and he finished six passing touchdowns, three interceptions. He didn't turn it over passing a whole lot. Um, he played smart football, kind of like you're saying with that elite game manager style. He played really, he played smart, safe football, kept the ball in their hands, kept the ball on the ground, um, and just kind of plotted along time of possession a lot like the Seahawks do this did this year. Um, and for Lamar Jackson to basically take over the team, go 6-1, and one, take them to the playoffs. That's huge confidence booster for him and the team, the squad, to go along with that championship caliber defense. Now, Lamar Jackson just needs to take the next step in passing. Um, he doesn't ever have to, He could average 220 yards per game for his whole career. That's fine because he's probably running for 50-plus every game. Um, he All he has to be able to do is make the big throws. So... The Seahawks lost. I'm going to make a bigger Seahawks comparison here. The Seahawks lost to the Cowboys in the playoffs. That sucks. They ran it, ran it, ran it, ran it, ran it, and ran it, and three and out of their way out of the playoffs. The difference, both of the Ravens, the Ravens average 149 rushing yards per game. The Seahawks were first with 154. Um, They have very similar formulas. The difference there is Russell Wilson is arguably the best deep ball passer in the NFL right now. Uh, and so the Seahawks have that 
that next level threat in the passing game, which they didn't take advantage of against the Cowboys. Um, but if Lamar Jackson just get to a point where he can make big throws, if he can take the top off of a defense, kind of like he did at the end of the Chargers game on long passes and long touchdown pass to Michael Crabtree, um, big plays downfield with his escapability and kind of running around, I, then the Ravens run heavy, heavy scheme becomes a very, very dangerous offense, especially when you pair it with that elite defense that was second in points per game, 18.6, first in total defense, only giving up 290 yards a game. Uh, it's it's going to be a formula for success in the very near future for the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, um, kind of going on a tangent, I guess I would say, I'm a huge Lamar Jackson fan. I mean, him getting drafted into this situation is probably the most ideal situation he could have been drafted into where he's not expected to put up the crazy numbers he was in college, but is able to utilize what he did in college and kind of perfect it and clean it and keep it out of volume where he doesn't have to put up these monster numbers, but can still do the things he was doing is more than ideal is what I, what I think. I absolutely. I I can't agree more. And I think it says a lot about Jim Harbaugh or not Jim Harbaugh, excuse me, John Harbaugh as a coach Um, to bring in a guy like this, that they got him in a great spot at the end of the first round. Um, But to bring in a guy that's kind of viewed with a question mark is always a college QB. That's kind of that hybrid type. We're not really sure this and that for John Harbaugh to bring him in and then alter the scheme to cater to what, best suits him that I think that says a lot about a coaching staff and Harbaugh's ability to understand what can win in today's game yeah I mean shout out to John Harbaugh um, definitely the better of the two Harbaugh's at least this year I mean I won't get into Jim Harbaugh um, all I know is that he better not set foot in Ann Arbor next season <laughs> oh, no. uh, but I guess uh, going from one one college football team to another two um, the college football final was Monday and it wasn't what anybody was really expecting I mean all I have down is what the heck like what what happened I mean obviously I mean I mean you wanted Clemson to win but we were at least spe- expecting a close game which is the complete opposite of what we got so I mean I'll kind of let you get into it a little bit on that yeah no straight up if you if you said before the game to anyone yeah the national championship's going to be a blowout. No one in their right mind, except for diehard Clemson fans, are going to say, oh yeah, Clemson. Clemson can be the one that blows them out. Then uh, this is no disrespect to Clemson at all. Um, I think that they're a fantastic team, and they showed that. They beat down on Alabama. Uh, but nobody's nobody would look at the dynasty of Saban and Alabama and be like, they're going to get blown out. They can get blown out. Like, it's never really happened, especially on that grand of a scale. And so, I mean, it it was crazy. I, I was shocked. Yeah, I mean, I was at work when it started. And so, like, I get home, uh, I turn on my computer, get some homework going, put the game on in the background, and I turn around, and Alabama's down by 20. Like, like what's going on, dude? <laughs> like, uh, did 
Tua get abducted by aliens? Did Nick Saban, like, not show up? Like, what what happened? Is it actually Alabama A&M playing <laughs> and not Alabama? I mean, like, we, we were on Notre Dame for getting blown out. Like, like we predicted, we thought they were going to get blown out. They go out there and get blown out. But we were all expecting that. Well, we both predicted <laughs> Alabama would yeah. win. I'm yeah, gonna... yeah, we predicted they would win, and something we were way more comfortable on too was that it would be at least a close game. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just it's just silly that that's not what happened. I mean, shout shout out to Clemson, Dabo dabbing on him. Um, but still, I don't know if um, we got any footage from the locker room on of Dabo dabbing on him, but um, <laughs> I guess I'll search that up after this. Uh, there's there's definitely got to be some, but I mean, yeah, Alabama last scored or scored with six minutes twenty three seconds to go in the first quarter, and then that was the last time they scored. Um, it it was bad. I one of the Trevor Lawrence balled out. Um, I see a potential Heisman for him in the future. Um, he's gonna be fantastic. I could easily. I don't see why Clemson wouldn't be back and winning it again next year. Um. Tua was really disappointing to me, throwing two picks in the first half and really kind of letting down the most. The thing I was most sure on about the entire game was that Tua was going to be legit and handle the pressure and do it better than Trevor Lawrence, and I was just completely wrong. I mean, what I saw from Tua was kind of what I expected from Trevor Lawrence, a solid game, but with some mistakes, and that just wasn't the case at all. Yeah, exactly. That's definitely what I was thinking too going into this game. Um, something I was I'm kind of wondering too is was uh, do you think Nick Saban was kind of considering putting Jalen Hurts in or? I, I mean, it's I feel like that was kind of all in the back of our minds. Like yeah, I like oh Jalen Hurts is going to come in this year and come back on Clemson like this and that and I mean I I wouldn't have been surprised if Saban did it just like because why the hell not to it wasn't playing very well uh I mean it was more honestly more about Clemson's defense Clemson's defense yeah, was playing with lights out and their pass rush was unreal but still I mean I kind of <laughs> it would have been fun to see Jalen Hurts in there especially when he brought him back against Georgia earlier in the year yeah, I mean, uh, I would have, I would have been happy seeing Jalen Hurts get back in there. I mean, Tua kind of came out disappoint. Not kind of, he did come out and disappoint because, like you said, the one thing that you were sure of and that I was pretty sure of was that he wasn't going to make these mistakes. He was going to be accurate. He was going to make safe throws. He was going to do all this, and then he comes out here and throws two picks. And, but I don't know. I'm not Nick Saban, I guess. But <laughs> whatever. I mean, it's it's a definitely a tough call. I mean, Tua is the quarterback for Bama, so I yeah. mean, it's just like we were talking about, like Lamar being the franchise QB, it's like Tua is Alabama right now, and so it's tough to go. It's tough to do that in the middle of the game when Tua's healthy and he's put together an arguable Heisman campaign. Yeah, well, I mean, since this was this was a blowout, we don't really have much on it. So I guess moving from. Uh, a blowout to a game that was kind of looking like a blowout, but got closer towards the end was this Rockets-Bucks game that just got over about a couple hours ago. Um, it's kind of a last-minute decision to throw it in, but, I mean, it's James Harden and Giannis going head-to-head, so we decided to throw it in. We talked about him a little bit last week and the MVP race and all that. 
So, I mean, it's super interesting to get the MVP showdown um, at the tail end of James Harden's super historic run. So, I mean, with that introduction, I'll let Big Red take it a little bit since he is a Rockets fan and, more importantly, a James Harden fan. Yeah, uh, I'm at the Shoreline girls and men's basketball team game tonight pulling up the ESPN on my phone so I can watch it, watch the MVP matchup. Really hoping James Harden can get the Rockets a dub and have that MVP candidate versus MVP candidate like win record, you know, is that always, it's not a huge, huge thing, but it, it's always in the back of voters' minds. I feel like when, when the MVPs match up and it's something that's watched, especially when it's on ESPN. And so I, I mean, it was it was a monster performance again by Harden. 42 points, uh, just a 13 of 30 overall shooting, uh, 6 of 16 on threes, uh, 6 assists, 11 rebounds. I mean, it's a stat stuff and performance for Harden. And it's, I mean, really, the only, I'm just disappointed the Rockets lost, honestly. I mean, it, bad third quarter. I mean, the Rockets were missing a lot of shots in the third quarter, and that's that's the one I watched the most closely um, while I was going in and out from half paying attention at the basketball game. But um, the third quarter was was rough. I felt like every time Harden was out, there was nothing getting going for the Rockets at all. And then when Harden got back in, it seemed like the Bucks were doing a really good job in one on one defense and double teaming him. And whether or not it was them playing good defense or Harden just missing some shots, the third quarter just was not was a recipe for disaster for the night for the Rockets, and they couldn't climb back. Yeah, I mean, they they did start climbing back because I think they got back within, like, four. They, they got within like the three. Within three yeah. with, like, uh, I, I believe it was, like, 101 left, and then Harden missed it three. And... Yeah, and that was kind of the end of it. But something that um, was pretty cool to watch was James Harden and Giannis kind of played really well down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Like, obviously, in two different situations, Harden's trying to bring his team back into it, and Giannis is trying to put the dagger in and pull his team away from any potential um, close game, late-game heroics. So, I mean, Giannis hits a tip in, which that kind that of sealed huge. the deal right there. I, I, was... I mean, I think that came, was that right after the Harden miss? It was, I believe, yeah, I, so. I, and I think it was to give him. Either way, that play was really that was an MVP caliber play. I I was very impressed by that. Yeah, it was super low key too. Like um, it was just a nice little soft tip in. You know, Giannis he's usually out here barreling into the paint, throwing down posterizing dunks, but he just comes in gracefully, gets good position, and tips the ball in. And there wasn't really any reaction from like, the crowd or the commentators or anything, like, if I wasn't really paying, like, close attention to the game, I wouldn't really have noticed that it was Giannis, to be honest. <laughs> no, I... That's how, like, low-key it was. I wasn't even sure it was him either. Like, I... It happened, and then I was like, God, I was like, damn, that was a good play. Who... Of course, it's Giannis. I'm like, yep, there's the MVP dagger right there. Sweet. For, like, yeah. in the game, at least. So, I mean, I was really big into the MVP versus MVP matchup, and I just, I wanted hard. We're down by three. I was like, dude, just hit a step back. Hit a step back. Let's get it. Yeah. Well, it was crazy, though. He hit, the, he hit a step back a few shot or a few possessions before that that brought them back within, like, 
three or four. Yeah. And it it was like, like you know, you could tell he was going for it. But the craziest thing about James Harden and Giannis is that you know what they're gonna do, you know what they're right. coming at you with, you know what they're gonna do on whatever possession, you know Giannis is gonna barrel onto the paint, you know Harden's in this situation, in this situation is gonna try to hit a step back three, but yet you can't like do anything to defend it. <laughs> I mean that's just kind of the story of both these players offensively you know James Harden's gonna live in the ISOs you know Giannis can't shoot threes so he's just gonna use his ridiculous ridiculous athleticism to roll into the paint and dunk on you and it's like there's not really game planning for it I mean it's Harden you double Giannis you hope you have a really elite defender and he holds him to 25 points like it's it it's a really good time to be watching the NBA, I think, overall. There's, uh, especially with an MVP race that I think is going to come down like this one, it's going to be awesome to watch. Yeah, um, something building off of that, um, Giannis. Giannis's game, real quick. Um, Jalen Rose said post-game that uh, Giannis is leading the league in dunks, and he didn't have one dunk this game. No which way. Is something that I thought was like, what? Like, he had 26 points. 8 of 16, and not one of them was a dunk. Clint Capella did. So, I mean, yeah. It, it was, like, part at least partly due to Clint Capella being in the paint. And, I mean, that just goes to show that Giannis is kind of more than just a barrel into the paint and dunk. Like, obviously, he is barreling into the paint, but he's got some deception to him, too. So, I mean, there's a, like, there's a low-key element to his game. Yeah, uh, I, I guess building off that to non-MVP candidates, I think Clint Capella is having a phenomenal year. Um, he is averaging career highs in points, rebounds, and assists. He's almost averaging 18 points a game. They're almost 13 rebounds a game and almost one and a half assists a game. Dang, one and a half is his uh, career high. Well, yeah, dude. What you think, James? Yeah. Well, you think a, James yeah, Harden never gets in the ball, bro? He plays uh, with Chris Paul and James Harden. <laughs> yeah, I guess when you're when you're like building up to that, I was kind of expecting, like in the back of my mind, like uh, CP3 is out, so maybe he's up around Fac- two and a half. Facilitating? No, 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 no. But um, yeah, shout out to Clint Capella. I think he went off for like thirty and ten, like a couple nights ago. He against the uh, I want to say it was against the Warriors. He had his career high in points. Yeah, so shout out to Clint Capella, and I guess um, moving from one big to the other, but now that I mentioned Golden State, um, this is my honorable mention. I guess we'll just get into it. Um, DeMarcus Cousins is came out and is targeting a January 18th comeback, which is Pretty soon. 11, 11, nine days away. Yeah, recently. Um, it was in the news yesterday, I want to say it was. And so he's targeting a January 18th comeback. Um, Warriors are completing the Infinity Gauntlet. They're getting <laughs> DeMarcus Cousins back, um, whether he's at 100% or 60%. 60% DeMarcus Cousins is still... He makes... the 60% DeMarcus Cousins compared to, like, 100% Zaza Pachulia. Yeah, that's what I was going to... Sentry Bell McGee makes him look like he's like Patrick Ewing or something. <laughs> um, so 
the Warriors are completing the Infinity Gauntlet. Um, it comes at a time where the Warriors, like, aren't necessarily struggling, I guess I would say, but they're not the same, they're not at the same level as they were last year at this point in the season. They could use I mean, a lift. Yeah, they could definitely use a lift. Um, they're not, like, treading water or anything. They're still, I think I want to say, like, the second seed they are. in the West. But, I mean, that just goes to show how the Warriors um, have built themselves up. I mean, the second seed is kind of, like, a little disappointing at this point in the way that they're playing. So, I mean, it's a game against the Knicks, which will be an easy game to kind of ease them into. I mean, I'm not expecting him to get a ton of minutes, but, I mean, obviously Warriors getting him back, completing that fifth All-Star to their um, starting lineup, it's going to be interesting to watch that and see how um, they mesh together and see what Boogie is after that Achilles injury. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily know if I see Boogie immediately stepping in and being, like, a force. Um, yeah, for sure not. But I think... I think the fact that they're going to have to slowly ease him in for the injury is actually going to benefit in terms of integrating him into like the scheme and the chemistry. Like they're not going to have to just start with 30 minutes a night for DeMarcus Cousins on the court. It's going to be 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, and then the starters like can kind of get a feel for how his touches are going to go. And it's, I think it'll make the integration easier. And I, ah, oh man, dude, the warrior, like if, if he just seamlessly phases in, like the warriors are, I, why watch the playoffs? I, <laughs> yeah. I feel like he is like, obviously it's going to be kind of a slower process fitting him in, but I feel like it's going to go on like without a hitch really. I mean, obviously like you got kind of two, maybe three drama Queens with Katie Draymond and Boogie, but I mean, it's the Warriors. It, they've established themselves as a top-notch, classy organization, so I mean, it's, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see this just go as smooth as it possibly could. And if it does, watch out rest of the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so from there, I will get into Big Red's Ballers. Uh, first off, we're going to go with the, uh, the GOAT, Nick Foles. Uh, Big Nick didn't have the best of games against the Bears. Uh, 25 of 40 for 266 yards, two touchdowns, and two picks. Um, but what matters is after he got done messing around, playing with the Bears, making them think they could win in the first half, throwing a couple picks, he finished the game with two touchdowns, no turnovers. And one of those touchdowns was a two-yard touchdown on fourth and goal with 56 seconds left to Golden Tate to give the Eagles a 16-15 to point lead that they would hold on to and send the Eagles to the next round. Um, I am a very public Nick Foles fan. Um, I... I kind of even liked him when he was on the Eagles and threw 27 touchdowns and one pick um, back in the day. Set the passer rating record before Aaron Rodgers, and then now others have broken it. Uh, Nick Foles is taking the Eagles to the Super Bowl. Um, I'll say it now. I've tweeted it multiple times. I plan on quoting my tweet where I said that Nick Foles was going to take the Eagles to the Super Bowl. and <laughs> quoted Every time they win, I'm going to say, two down. I said one down on Sunday when I tweeted it out. And when they beat the Saints, I'll say two down. Uh, 
um, yeah, I'm just I'm hyped up for Nick Foles. Got the Foles jersey on the way. Um, Nick Foles is the goat. Yeah, I mean it's hard to argue that really. Um, if you're not a fan of Nick Foles, what are you doing, really? <laughs> and I mean, like you're waiting on those uh, Nick Foles is leading the. Eagles to the Super Bowl tweets. I'm kind of waiting for the what time is the Cowboys game this week tweets. Um, so hopefully, hopefully the Cowboys is another news. But um, yeah, shout out to Nick Foles. I mean, easy guy to like, really. Yeah, I mean, how can you not? A dude that was ready to quit football a couple years ago and then wins a Super Bowl for the Eagles and then now yeah. has taken them from literally on our predictions. I, I'm a Seahawks fan and then an Eagles fan. I really had no thought whatsoever that the Eagles could actually make the playoffs. And obviously I hadn't considered that Carson Wentz would go down with an injury and Nick Foles would get to step in. Um, but yeah, huge, uh, huge, big red baller. Yeah. I mean, uh, big ant baller too, as well. If I get, if I can get into that for Nick Foles, <laughs> anything, uh, but with all good, there must be bad. And so big reds, Big Bust is actually in the same game, um, and it's on the Chicago Bears. And now I know you're probably all thinking, here we go, Cody Parkey, blah, blah, blah. Yes, Cody Parkey screwed up. He also made four other field goals in the game, um, three or four. And those field goals were made on the Chicago Bears offense. The fact that they couldn't punch it in, couldn't get touchdowns. And that's my Big Reds bust, is the Chicago Bears revamped Matt, revamped Matt Nagy offense that was supposed to be so great. Trubisky's going to take the next step in it, uh, this and that. And I do agree that Trubisky kind of took the next step. I think we talked about it in the beginning of the year in our fantasy predictions um, that Trubisky could take like a kind of Jared Goff-like step forward. And I think that's honestly exactly what he did. Uh, had some huge games through six touchdowns in one game. Um, and that, that offense did look pretty good in the regular season. And then we got to the playoffs, and Trubisky played pretty well. 26 of 43 for 303 yards and a touchdown. Um, virtually no rushing game, though. Jordan Howard was your leading rusher with 10 carries for 35 yards. Um, you scored 15 points at home in a playoff game against the number 11 ranked scoring defense in the NFL, Philly giving up almost 22 points a game. Um, the third worst passing defense in the NFL, giving up about 270 yards per game. You scored 15 points and lost 16 to 15. Now, I know Nick Foles was going to win and basically willed that field goal off the upright for the Eagles to <laughs> yeah. win. He must have been in the stands, like, blew, blew backwards on it or something. The, Nick Foles started the ice the kicker where they're popping open the Pepsi's, dog. <laughs> Your offense still scored 15 points. You settled for field goals four times. Yes, the game-winning drive field goal. That was great to see. Trubisky stepping up and getting you into field goal range. That was fantastic to see for your prospects in the future. But Matt Nagy, Tariq Cohen, touched the ball one time uh, on the ground and had three catches for 27 yards. He was... Your X factor all season. Allen Robinson had a big game, ten catches for 143 yards and a touchdown. Hadn't really seen that all season. Um, 
there's just supposed to be all these gadget plays and abilities and things that this offense had, but they could only muster 15 points and 370 yards against what is a very good Eagles front seven, but they're on the road in Soldier Field. And I don't know. I think it's honestly, I think every all the attentions and everything rude is going towards Cody Parkey for missing the field goal, but quite frankly, I think that the Bears offense just really sputtered. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to kind of blame a kicker for, he made, like you said, four field goals prior to missing the game-winning one. So, I mean, how much blame can you really put on him? I mean, he was out there doing his job all game, um, picking up the slack for an offense that couldn't really do anything, get the ball into the end zone, really. So, um, I guess kind of, I kind of want to add a big red bust (laughs) going from one team that looked really good on paper that came out and performed and actually made the playoffs to a team that looked really good on paper and came out and missed the playoffs, which is the Minnesota Vikings. I, I just don't know. I don't know what happened with them. It's disappointing. Um, I was kind of high on the Vikings coming into the season. I was expecting them to build off the of last season. How could you not? Exactly. Like, all they did was get better on paper, pretty right. much. <laughs> And they came out and were a shell of themselves. And it's just, I don't know what's going on with the NFC North, <laughs> with the Vikings um, underperforming and then the Bears underperforming in the playoffs, but at least the Bears got there. So Vikings hold the L. Um, if I, I, don't, I just don't want it. I just don't even want to see purple and yellow, really, together right now. <laughs> I, it, and it's rough. I mean, I I predicted that they weren't going to make the playoffs when we did our thing a, a little while yeah. back. Um, I thought the Panthers were going to get in. And some Eagles fan I am, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the Vikings, really on paper, all they did was get Kirk Cousins is obviously not a big game winner. I think everyone in the world knows that. But Kirk Cousins is, on paper, a better quarterback than Case Keenum. Um, so I think you kind of expected him to step in and take what was actually a pretty good Vikings offense that was going to get Dalvin Cook back and have elite receivers and Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen, and you're adding a quarterback that throws for 4,000 yards a season. I think it's kind of like why would this team that already has what a lot of people thought was top three, if not the best defense in the NFL, I know I did, uh, mm-hmm. and you said it yourself, a shell of them for themselves. I mean, they had played some weird games early on. Um, beat the... I, they they lost... They got blown out by the Bills early on, twenty yeah. like 28-6 to six or whatever. And it was like the Bills were 0-3, looking like the worst team in football by far. And then, I mean, it's it was just an overall disappointing year for the Vikings and I'm not exactly sure where you go from here you gave Cousins like 84 million guaranteed so huge bust yeah like I said Minnesota Vikings hold this L um I'm hoping you guys can turn around next year but I don't know (laughs) well uh, I guess that'll kind of wrap up the show like we said we're trying to keep it a little shorter with um getting more episodes out so not trying to overwhelm you guys really with two two hour long or two hour long episodes in a week. So um, this is Average Ant signing off. As uh, Big Red signing off. Uh, thanks again for listening, guys. Um, 
hoping to pump out some new content for you soon, and then uh, Big Red's got a special release coming up. Yeah, stay tuned for that. You'll want to hear it.